Thursday, an active shooter incident in Los Angeles. You know, you've got Los Angeles County Fire Department, you've got LA City. Whereas out here, it's pretty much, we're it. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Fire and DMS are challenging enough in a city where there are resources available. But in rural areas, they're even more difficult. Take EMS, for example. When there's no level one trauma center nearby, how do you deal with major incidents? And then there's fire, and it's not all about wildland responses. What do you do when a first alarm fire takes up most of your area's resources? My guest today is well aware of those scenarios. He lives with them every day. Kevin Grange is a firefighter paramedic in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He's an award-winning author who wrote about his experiences as a paramedic in Los Angeles. That's about as far as you can get from Jackson Hole, if you know what I mean. And Kevin joins me now to talk about working emergency services in rural areas. Kevin Grange, thanks for being on Code 3. Thanks a lot for having me, Scott. I'm honored to be here and look forward to uh, an exciting uh, episode. <laughs> me too. So first, give me a thumbnail of your fire and EMS operations in Jackson Hole. Sure. We are an all-hazards agency. So what that means is we uh, respond to structure fires, wildland fires. We handle EMS for Teton County. We also have a hazmat team along with a tactical EMS team. And then uh, the department makeup is we have some paid staff and then we have volunteers as well. So it's a combination department. In terms of fire, what's the largest response you can muster before you need mutual aid? It's fairly interesting here. A lot of our mutual aid requests are a result of like the distance we have to travel to the call versus the size of the call. So Jackson Hole Fire is very well equipped with apparatus and personnel. We have about 80 volunteers and then, you know, about 20 paid staff. But a lot of times, for instance, we respond to Togety Pass, which is about an hour, hour and a half from town. And we have to drive through Grand Teton National Park to get there. So on a call like that, They'll page us initially, and then we'll ask for a mutual aid request from Grand Teton. So they'll help us out uh, in that respect. And then another example of that is Teton Pass, which is a you know a very high pass that takes you into Jackson Hole. On the backside of the pass is Idaho. So a lot of times, if there's a collision there or a medical call or even like a car fire, we'll ask Idaho to assist with that. So most of our mutual aid requests. It's due to where the call is versus not having the appropriate resources on our end. So with all that in mind, what is your biggest challenge as a firefighter? There's a lot of challenges. You know, the fun thing about being a firefighter is, you know, there's just 
infinite ways to grow and to keep learning. And as I said, we're an all hazards agency. So I guess the main thing out here is we don't have a ton of structure fires that a city department might see. So I think the challenge is just staying up on all your skills. And we do that by just training all the time and, you know, attending conferences like FDIC and just, you know, kind of working together to stay competent on everything. Most of your calls then are medical or are they rescue? Like most departments, I'd probably say 80% are medical. Um, I did also forget to mention on the fires, you know, in the winters, we'll get down to negative 25 degrees. Whoa. And then, yeah, and then it's uh, it's sort of a rural and remote area. So along with hoses freezing, there's also a lot of water supply issues. So many houses out here, there are no hydrants in the area. And then they're kind of built in the woods. So there's, you know, uh, access difficulties. So you kind of factor in the cold, the lack of a water supply, the lack of access to some of these houses that, you know, makes fighting fires super tough. With that urban wildland interface, how are your wildland skills these days? They're great, yeah. We have a great, we're surrounded by, you know, national forests and national park. And I assume that you're dealing with the same drought conditions that most of the rest of us out west are? We are. Actually, this year, we, we, the last two years, we've had pretty good uh, precipitation in the winter. Um, So then it just kind of comes down to, you know, precipitation during the summer and, you know, what the fuel loads are doing. And also we have a lot of lightning out here. So that definitely affects the wildland season. But when there is an incident, you know, there's U.S. Forest Service teams that'll generally mount the initial attack. And then uh, if they need assistance, they'll call in us. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. All right, let's talk about EMS and active shooter situations. For a while, at least, these were considered to be a city problem. Now we know better, and so what are the differences in handling active shooters in a rural setting as opposed to a major city? I actually just wrote an article on this for uh, GEMS. So uh, Jackson Hole Fire EMS set up the first uh, tactical EMS uh, team in the state of Wyoming, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, sadly, these incidents are you know happening all over the country and urban areas and rural areas. So some of the challenges here with you know these type of calls, our structure fires and our EMS incidents, is just the response time to getting to the scene. You know, it could be five minutes or it could be you know one to two hours, depending on where the incident occurs. Uh, another challenge is just kind of the lack of resources. So if there's, say, an active shooter incident in Los Angeles, you know, you've got Los Angeles County Fire Department, you've got L.A. City, you've got, you know, Compton, Culver City, along with, you know, multiple law enforcement agencies. Whereas out here, it's pretty much we're it, you know, although we can certainly ask for assistance from, like, Grand Teton National Park. 
but again, it's just going to be generally that longer response time to get help. So along with reduction of resources, there's also, you know, less hospitals out here. So we have a great hospital in town, but our closest trauma center is uh, two hours away, and our closest level one trauma center is actually five hours away in Salt Lake City. How long is that by air? Um, By air, I think they can generally get there in uh, about 45 minutes. And so, you know, you... That's still an extended ETA, though. Yeah, exactly. And you asked about mutual aid earlier, and I would definitely call, you know, air resources an aspect of using mutual aid. So with your closest cardiac and stroke and trauma center, you know, two to five hours away... We definitely, you know, call for helicopters and fixed wing airplanes quite a bit. And then it just kind of comes down to if they can land, you know, given the weather in the mountains. That ties nicely into my next subject, which is that I read some of the things you've written about working EMS in remote national parks. What is that like? What What's the difference? I mean, if Jackson Hole is different from L.A., then certainly that's got to be wildly different. Yes, it definitely is. You know, the interesting thing I've kind of realized is most every book or television show or movie is all about, you know, EMS and fire departments in an urban setting, whereas most of the providers across the U.S. work in like a rural setting. So what I found is in an urban setting, you're just getting a ton of calls. So you're kind of worn out from just, you know, never sleeping. Whereas in an urban setting, uh, sorry, in a rural setting, you might only get three calls that day, but, you know, it's an hour to get to the scene, an hour to get back to the hospital. So the calls are taken, you know, between two and four hours from beginning to end. You know, that (laughs) reminds me of a simple question that I think has a lot of impact. How do you feel or what do you feel when you're on a run that takes an hour to get to and you know that they need your help now? That's sort of a a tough thing, you know, because you want to get there and help as soon as you can. Um, What we've learned to do is, you know, sometimes based on the complaint and what we're hearing from that 911 call, we'll launch uh, helicopters even even before we get on the scene. And then uh, another thing we do is, you know, while we're driving up, we're kind of talking amongst the crew as far as what our roles and responsibilities are going to be on the call. And then we'll just get that ambulance set up. So if it's a bad trauma, we'll get the IV bags hung. We'll maybe, uh, you know, drop some TXA to get that uh, drip ready and we'll get our airway equipment out. So by the time we hit the scene, we're just ready to go. Now, what I've learned from working in kind of the rural area is, you know, number one, pack the essentials. So if you're Hiking into the patient, you want to make sure you got everything you need to treat that patient. You know, since these calls can take all day, you want to make sure as a provider, you know, you've got food and water, headlamp, everything you need to be effective. As far as resources, I kind of like the maxim of order big, order early, and don't be afraid to stand units down. You know, since it does take longer to assemble resources out here, call for what you think you might need. And if you don't need them, you know, you can always stand them down. Another thing is what I find out here is the environment is always affecting your calls out here. So maybe it's the weather, maybe you want to land a helicopter, but you can't, or maybe it's negative 25 below, you know, and your hoses are all freezing. So that's, that's always an obstacle. But I think if you acknowledge it early, 
you can kind of plan to work around it and to find, you know, a creative solution to doing something like that. All things considered, and having had experiences both in a major city and in the middle of nowhere, which do you prefer as a provider? Well, to be honest, I like I like both. You know, I you know certainly in a city when the calls are popping off, you just kind of stay in that zone of just running calls, and you're kind of in that flow. Um, so that's definitely a lot of fun. Um, out here in kind of the rural, remote area. The fun part of the call, say on an EMS call, is you do have that extended transport. So you really get to go down, go down through the whole treatment protocol that you have. So, for instance, if it's an allergic reaction, you know, in a city, you might have time just to give that quick epi one-to-one, and then you're at the hospital. Whereas out here in Jackson Hole, you know, we could start with the epi, then go to the Benadryl, and then maybe get an albuterol on board, and then, you know, even go to a steroid. So you're kind of using that whole treatment algorithm. Um, and also, you know, you're a lot more autonomous. A lot of times we're going to areas where we don't have cell phone or even radio contact. So you're really forced to kind of think on your feet and just, you know, make those good patient care decisions on your own. So there are fun challenges that I think have helped me grow a lot as a provider. And then, of course, the same is true with, you know, fighting fire. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere. The closest water supply might be a couple miles away. It's below freezing. So you're just always forced to grow and think creatively as far as how to solve these emergencies. When you run into, let's say, a paramedic from Los Angeles or somebody from the L.A. County Fire Department and they want to know what your job is like, what's the one thing you tell them first? Let's see. That's a great question. I'd probably just say it's dynamic. Of course, their job is always dynamic as well, but um, out here it's just dynamic from a kind of wilderness, urban interface. Um, it's kind of unique out here because we do have 4 million tourists that come through between uh, May and October. Everyone's going to Yellowstone and Grand Teton. And they so, do some really dumb things. <laughs> yeah, it happens. But so we we do have, you know, some of those city types of calls, you know, um, in the you know, given the density of people that kind of descend upon our town of 10,000. But then we also have, you know, the search and rescues and, um, you know, the lost hikers, the rock climbing falls. So it's dynamic in that you never know if it's a call in town that's kind of urban in nature or maybe it's a call out in the middle of the wild. So it's just every day is different. Sounds like fun. We'll leave it there. Kevin Grange, thanks for being on Code 3 today. Thank you very much. I had a great time and uh, look forward to listening to more of your episodes. And there's more about working fire and EMS in rural areas and Kevin's books on our website, Code3Podcast.com slash rural. Check it out. Now, here comes your trivia question. What is the only not recommended for use in forming a length of webbing into a load-bearing loop? I'll have the answer right after this. Ever notice that Scott always tells you that you can get a guest's book at our website, Code3Podcast.com? 
That's because we have links to order their books from Amazon on the episode's show notes pages. It makes it easy for you to get the books, and it helps support Code 3. When you buy Amazon through our website, we get a small cut too. And it doesn't cost you any more to order through us. Plus, there are other firefighter-related products there too. Take a look at Code3Podcast.com. And the answer is... A water knot is the only knot recommended for use in farming a length of webbing into a load-bearing loop. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Oren. Until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.